Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Bullock. And as always, we like to talk about things related to IT disaster recovery, crisis management, emergency management, resilience, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We don't usually get to talk too much about technology and different pieces. Uh, so today, we're going to talk about the internal, uh, sorry, uh, what, what did we say there? Uh, eternal. The, eternal. The eternal burden of patching. And we're going to be touching on AI, business continuity, roles and responsibilities, and all different uh, aspects here. And today, I'd like to welcome to the show, Denny Wan. Denny, welcome. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with your community. And Denny is joining us from Australia today. So a good morning to you. Uh, hopefully, it's a good day. And, uh, you know, your day is starting off well by talking with us. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to this chat. Now, you and I have sent messages back and forth, so I know who you are and what you do. But we do have listeners and viewers around the globe. Could you take a minute or two and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do? Yeah, thank you uh, for the opportunity. Yes, uh, my uh, profession, my qualification is uh, risk assurance uh, is a fancy way to talk, uh, speak of uh, audit. And uh, I try not to use the A word because it seems boring <laughs> and somewhat intimidating. Very people wanted to uh, make friends with auditors. But risk assurance, because uh, it's a new block, everyone want to talk about risk, about cyber risk, and how, of course, it's business continuity. Cyber risk management is become very topical. And so, so I like to do that. Uh, and uh, uh, you're absolutely right that, uh, in fact, I took advantage uh, of the, your invitation, as you just made, uh, to your audience to reach out to you their topic that they want to share with your community. And and I, 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 I took on that uh, invitation uh, after watching your chat with Doug Habat. And, of course, Doug is a recognized global leader in measuring anything intangible. And where the connection from is that a lot of cyber risk is very intangible because you have no news is good news as a success, which is probably very true universally. Well, maybe do nothing and hitting head in the sand is a good way to uh, to achieve the outcome and just hope for uh, the, for the best. And uh, ultimately, and this topic about patching uh, is about that determining that proportionality ethic. And uh, so I uh, come to you uh, representing a, co a global committee uh, of cyber risk quantification where Doug's work is recognized as a key enabler. And that framework is called FAIR, uh, F-A-I-L, and stands for not for fairness, 
as we like mm. that we play with the word, but factor analysis of information risk, and it's about breaking down a risk scenario such as patching uh, to the different factors, so that you can have a informed business conversation with the stakeholders to agree on the proportionality effort and making something seems to be an eternal burden to be something worthwhile and not futile. Well, let's start. First of all, welcome to the show, and I'm glad you uh, reached out. And to anybody listening, I really do respond to everything. You know, Denny is an example of that. We got him on the show. So you've mentioned patching now. So let's ask the first obvious question. What is meant by patching? Patching is the one of the very common and uh, 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 frequently performed info, uh, system and machine tasks where you be uh, draw attention to uh, the availability of a software patch, typically, uh, to be applied to some of your assets, such as a laptop. And of course, uh, the, even for people outside the the, the IT industry technology space might have heard of this kind of patch Tuesday. And it is a cadence Microsoft had introduced probably 10 years ago, at almost 10 years now, where each month there's a bunch of patches they released to the global uh, the customer base. And we all probably using some sort of Microsoft product, mostly on a desktop and laptop. And every month, uh, the the Tuesday or the second week of every month, that is a patch. So everyone get used to that and don't book your holiday for that uh, second week. (laughs) Maybe it's not this. The way you're going away, well, guess what? You are not going. So what I hope will draw attention to this conversation is for all those patches that you can apply, how you can have a conversation uh, to figure out, you know, the order in which you do uh, perform those tests and the extent which you do. And the last thing I would say is the joke is uh, if you have only three computers in your network, well, that's not much of a problem. I might just uh, skip lunch. When you have, you know, three hundred thousand laptops in your in your in your fleet, well, that's not such an easy uh, conversation. Right. So. Is patching, you know, we receive these patches from Microsoft, are they fixing a deficiency in uh, software or are they filling another hole where cyber criminals could get in or are they fixing a tiny little bug and maybe a spelling mistake somewhere? You know, what what is in these patches? Because I've heard of patches for years, mm-hmm. but really I don't think a lot of people really know what are these things? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So let me continue uh, with the Microsoft analogy because we are likely all had some exposure uh, to Microsoft uh, uh, products. And uh, for Microsoft or Patch Tuesday, there are actually two uh, series of uh, patches. The Patch Tuesday one is what they call quality patches. And it's like fair, you know, it's, it's come somewhat, uh, or, or the ways I chose uh, assurance is somewhat um, beautifying the word. And they also have a series of uh, auto patches, which is your updates to your, your Windows operating systems. They only come probably once a quarter, and uh, but a quality patches is monthly. What a quality patches by and large contained are security patches, not only, but mostly are security patches, where the quarterly update are mostly new features introduced. Sometimes it's to 
also fix a not a vulnerability, but a deficiency such as you know they improve the words and they move the ribbon, and uh, you know I'll look uh, here and I always get way confused every time they release a new version. I'll look and say where is that uh, function <laughs> on the ribbon, and <laughs> they just like to think they are smarter and told you probably right for this. So, but the quality patches is really what uh, I want to focus on is. Um, while Microsoft might beautify the word quality, which is fixing the bugs that she used sometimes in the previous patches. And that's really that become the eternal cycle. So yeah, you're right. Uh, so the monthly one, you really the reason they release monthly one is if you if this is a, a vulnerability uh, that can be exploited by you know cyber criminals and other uh, threat actors, well you don't have the luxury to wait for a quarter. And therefore, this topic is well. How can you uh, how to to be able to manage that burden uh, with the limited resources a cyber team uh, we have to these days? Well, that that leads me to my next question: Why do I need to even worry about patch management? Because you did give two examples of a shop with a thousand employees versus a, an office with three. So if I have an office of three, why should I be concerned with patch management? Absolutely. And that's why the beauty of using cloud, because cloud secure, they're scalable. We don't need, you can sleep well until you realize that, well, uh, when you sign up to, say, uh, Microsoft Azure services, not Office 65, but when your own virtual infrastructure or Google, well, they, they, they have uh, part of the the engagement is called responsibility mat, uh, ma uh, matrix and that matrix will tell you and all the cloud provider you know google microsoft uh, uh, everyone uh, ha have that matrix published and explain that while they're responsible for the physical hardware uh, and you no longer have the burden of you know within uh, uh, making sure the hardware is still running uh, you still have the responsibility to managing security uh, first and foremost, and other quality issues, they are not responsible. So while you know your Salesforce uh, uh, go under, which does happen quite infrequently, less so than say Office three sixty five, well you don't you don't have to do anything; they will fix it. But if you run your virtual you know uh, Oracle server in Microsoft Azure, which you can or Google, well you have to look after the Oracle database and Raman completely, uh, except for the virtualized hardware. So patching is part of that management uh, responsibility under the metric. So it does create burden well, uh, on, the, on the user. When we say burden, are we saying that it's something that we have to do all the time or that it's timely, it, like it takes, meaning it takes too, too, too much time to do or it's complex? You know, how is, maybe opening a file and just say, yeah, apply patch, how does that become a burden to, to people? What what makes it a burden? Is it just confusing for, for many or? Yeah, yeah, so so that there, there are two dimensions. Thank you for the question because uh, often uh, that is somewhat misunderstood and seems to be over uh, blowout in disproportionate. So the, 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 the physical effort to apply software patches, you're right that you deliver a software package and by and large, you launch 
the package and and do most of the rest. However, that does takes time, but the, really the burden come from the decision process and the interdependencies. And uh, one word, testing. And a lot of your audience are course very familiar with testing. In BCP context, if only you can perform the recovery without worrying about anything else, my system up and running, well, then life will be so much easier. And uh, when you go to a BCP and you sequence the BCP, the recovery priority, the biggest part is what about if that particular system are now being, in quote, patched, updated, and performed slightly differently? Hmm. Uh, uh, would that still work? Well, I think it will work because it worked for me. That was not the question. Can you test it with us in our team? Well, you can do that. And this is where th this patching becomes better. And imagine in a large enterprise, and as I said before, you have three computers. Well, you have that problem because you just test all the three uh, individual uh, uh, pieces of equipment. But when you have a large enterprise in a you know tens of thousands of servers, some are virtual, some are uh, you know, on your data center, that end to end coordination. And even large enterprise like uh, AWS, and famously they have you know the S three uh, S three is the storage service that are mounted. Uh, you know that and uh, Microsoft, you know, reasonably regularly, probably every six months they have an outage, out take out of sixty five. Even they suffer from that. You can imagine why would Office 65 be available and available for a few hours? It's not conceivable with the army of people to look after. This thing happens often is because they sort of, not just patching, but changes in your duty to improve the delivery and things not always worked out as planned. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I do remember um, in previous years being in organizations where they do have some sort of an outage or something has occurred and they have to bring a specific server or system up and running. And uh, I, I remember during a test, there was a challenge with one of these uh, applications and, and systems. And the reason was when everything else came up, it had the latest patch, but this one system with the issue didn't have the latest patch. So things were out of sync, and we mm -hmm. couldn't get everything working until we got our hands on that new patch and had it installed. And I guess that that's part of the burden, right? Absolutely, and and I think you play back in real life often in a physical situation, and you have supply contracts, and uh, and so, so, sometimes you only find out through the fighter that someone had you know uh, changed their business process such as the way they place the order and, and do delivery. I change for the better using different carrier to ship like Amazon has different bunch of driver and you suddenly you find that what you mm -hmm. order <laughs> should be one day delivery would turn out to be not one day. It turned out to be actually just one day it will arrive. And this happens and it could be devastating if you have a tight supply chain. So testing is really important. And patching often is the, the the cause of these changes because they're regular and people haven't thought about and did not uh, are not prepared to invest in the extensive testing and they just really protect themselves according to contract. My testing boundaries up to this point, like BCP, is very common because in the end testing, even if you don't make any change, just testing take a lot of effort. 
kind of, kind of they they meet the bare minimum. Yeah, everyone want to do a bare minimum, and thank you for that work because what's bare minimum to you, according to what your budget set for, is very different from what the artists expect that you should do a lot more than what you call bare minimum. And of course, government is the best example. Is yeah, we we look after, you know, our, our mission. And and people who are at the receiving end of that uh, perspective, I completely disagree. Their life is completely ruined because oh, yeah. they just look after the agencies, and the others say, "Look, but you are a government, right?" Well, no, we, we are an agency with the government. So if you have a problem with that, go to speak to how to be, and ask why do they give us this budget for agency? It's not a problem. A question would be better even entertained to have a conversation. So, so yeah, so that's the perspective. So the proportionality of patching, and you can now, you know, you start to bring in a lot of BCP narratives, such as because uh, uh, a lot of your guests, I, I, I watched your previous search before a long time. And not necessarily familiar to everyone, the RTO and RPO, we, we cover time objective, we cover point objective. Well, this is all about threshold. Because the concept is easily understood, and try to convince someone to go with your threshold because it will reduce your your burden and your cost is really where the trick is. And therefore, my community that that I'm part of, uh, the cyber risk communication community, is to help to translate particular cyber risk management threshold into a business conversation. And uh, we simply put expressing cyber risk as a financial risk. Because when you do that, now you can potentially help you understand why the what level budgets is proportionate and appropriate. We're going to talk, touch on a little bit of that um, later as well. But I wanted to ask one of the questions um, that we, we had here is, why do organizations, because you brought up a lot of valid reasons, but why do organizations still find patch management a uh, a challenge if it's something that can be done and that they should be doing? What, why do they still find it to be a challenge? Well, one one uh, one sentence is not broken. Please don't fix it. Now let me <laughs> unpack it and and explain. And this is more common than uh, we like to prepare uh, to admit. Uh, Often, when a change is raised, particularly for you know legacy elements, you know old technology, you know, hopefully not something like Windows Seven. Uh, and I'm not joking; a lot of you know, equipment are uh, hard coded, uh, like AirPods terminals and all the the most common device you touch in in a day to day life. They they would have you know hard coded uh, software in a device that cannot be updated. So. Coming to testing, a lot of uh, those elements, uh, like in IoT space, in industrial control, internet things, uh, like your thermostat in your house, they only tested uh, for a certain combination of version. Uh, like your insurance would say, well, you, um, that uh, that environment is only tested for, you know, say your thermometer for your fridge. And if you have a smartphone monitor, you upgrade it. Well, we don't know whether it's reliable. So if you do so, your insurance policy may be not weighted, uh, but may be constrained, and you might not be able to make the full client for the full amount you covered. So a lot of asset owners say, well, 
different ones are working, but it's vulnerable, right? Your smart TV are now listening to you. We want to patch it. <laughs> and they say, no, our insurance, the contract said you can't, uh, can't touch it unless you test everything end to end. And of course, no one have the appetite nor the money to do and and it's not my problem so let's leave it so this is really coming back to the statement a lot of asset owner for right reasons uh, that they concern two things one day you take down that system means you lose public revenue uh, right right off the bat but that's okay we can live with that we can budget for that but what about you introduce in quote you know uh, unexpected features let's not call it a bug and then you only find out after you applied it. Often there's a case you don't know it because you're doing the QA for the vendor. Well, ask Microsoft. You see how many they have every month. They say, well, that patch will address, you know, uh, this new one will be introduced you know, six months ago. It happened every, almost every month. Then the asset owner say, well, it's not broken. Please don't fix it. You can have the budget for the patching. We need and we understand it's necessary. Can you not do it for the asset? Do anything else but I will pay for it. Hopefully that uh, put it in some perspective <laughs> in somewhat, hopefully, more lighthearted way. But it's a real challenge. A lot of cyber defenders, uh, you know, all the cyber defenders, I have this conversation about, uh, you know, helping them to relieve the burden. The biggest challenge they have, you have that informed business conversation with asset owner that said, I know, you know, what I need and I'm paying for your salary. And I know it's good intention. I agree with that. But it's not broken. Please don't fix it. Fix, fix all the other things, but not right. this really critical asset. Is it because, uh, and we're, this will be our last question and we'll take a break. Is mm. it because uh, when we think of patch management or anything that needs to be fixed, it's the thought is very IT centric. So that part of the challenge is getting people uh, to, I guess, uh, incorporate some sort of a patch management strategy into the organizational culture and not it's just an it centric thing yeah thank you for that and paul we'll go into that further going into the next segment uh you hear now that you know patching we have spoken only in the context of software patches patching is in fact that is not constrained and confined to only software patches or even you know hardware replacement you have a more reliable uh, physical uh, elements you put into the, the thermostat but a lot of patching the most difficult part is process change it the concept is the same someone's like a consultant, uh, like myself, come in and advise you doing a risk assessment and say, well, you could work smarter because you have better trained people, you have better supply chain assurance. Why don't you reduce some of the step or add some other step of assurance? That change for good intention could have unintended consequence. Uh, a case in point is the in the election in the US coming up. And of course, one of the hot topic is electronic voting. And you know how it goes. It is certainly with the future, but trying to pull it off in the next election was not as simple as you know one way thought. So, so you think about patching the the voting process that your 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 uh, your country uh, needing to think about. This is a sort of a challenge. Is what they will need to do. And of course, a lot of that, that particular change is technology enabled, but most are not really technology related. Wow. Okay. Well, on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Denny Wan today about the eternal burden of patch management, and we will be right back. 
follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Danny Wan about the eternal burden of patch management. Danny, great first segment there. Lots of good information for everybody. Um, we're going to change gears just a little bit. We'll still talk about patch management, but um, one of the other concepts you talk about with patch management is AI, artificial intelligence. So how does that help us? Yeah, AI is definitely not a new concept. Um, there's the, even the, the, the science, uh, the scientific uh, study of the concept uh, had gone back, I think, 50 years. But certainly AI had taken a, a, new, a new focus and interest and excitement because of technology enablement. And I, I touched on briefly before, uh, at the end of last uh uh, before the break, uh, like looking at uh, election, and we see a lot of parallel in that. AI, the way I, I uh, paraphrase it, and not AI expert by any stretch of imagination, enabled uh, automation. Uh, the the artificial aspect is where uh, the introduce automation. Uh, um, uh, and the intelligence is really mirroring what we do 
as humans. So by automating uh, some of those decision processes, uh, and a, a perfect example uh, in physical life is uh, our cars. Because um, I'm not sure about you, when, when I grew up, we think about petrol engine and you know tuning engine and the carburetor. <laughs> These days, where's the carburetor? You know, my children would have no idea what's a carburetor. You know. Uh, <laughs> So, so this is really uh, that technology is still there, still run on petrol. The actual uh, mechanical aspect uh, of that, uh, let's not talk about electric car, had not changed. We're still pretty much a petrol head uh, uh, economy, uh, but the AI part and and of course, well, I don't know. Uh, most cars have you know at least thirty computers everywhere. You don't see them. There's no button to push. Uh, you have the steering wheel, and uh, there might be some uh, talk to your dashboard and press a few buttons. There are a lot of things, uh, and uh, one of the uh, really classic example is anti-skid braking system (ABS), and that's paradoxical uh, because ABS is like a patching um, conversation we're having is because uh, uh, cars can only drive fast because you got brakes, and ABS is. It's uh, paradoxical because ABS is to do one online thing, reduce your braking capacity. And you say, that's crazy. I need to jam on a brake when an accident, like it's raining, I'm going to crash into something. And ABS said, look, I will reduce your braking capacity so you would not slide. You Sure, you might not still brake exactly in time, but you won't flip and crash. You might still have, you know, a, a slight... Uh, the, you know, the light in your, your braking. So ABS is about that proportionality. And in fact, it's a patching process because it reduced your process to cope with the threat. It's a choice between you want to flip and skid or you want to slow down a little bit uh, slower. So how, if with patch management, how does AI help with that? Do we leave all the decisions up to AI or do we still need to make those decisions and get AI to do what we want it to do? Or can we set it up to say AI does this every month or every quarter, et cetera? You know, how, how do we incorporate that? Yeah, so we, we talk about in the first segment where one of the important uh, costs contributing to patching is testing. And testing, you sometimes you can't do it yourself. You can ask even people and maybe collect the testing data they already have and just draw out the perspective is what would happen if you change this component? What would your upstream impact and downstream impact? So AI can automate a lot of uh, those uh, conversations and and putting the perspective together. So so a lot almost universally all security products today, at least the vendor would like to tell you, they have AI and ML, which is machine learning, uh, slightly different uh, concept uh, enabled product to have that conversation. So if we uh, reframed patching from a technology conversation, such as you, you mentioned earlier on, here's a software package, please install and deploy, to a business conversation to say, well, we know what we can do to deploy, but we're making sure you're prepared. Because when we apply the patches, it's meant to change the behavior. Well, that's exactly what it's for. So I want you to be understanding, such as if your voting system are now allowing electronic voting rather than in-person voting, here's the consequence. One of the consequences, of course, is accelerate the counting, which is a good thing. But also people will say, well, maybe you're not counted correctly. 
So I'm going to pause at that and hopefully that put it into perspective. Well, I, I thought of another question as you were talking there, because you mentioned AI, patch management and testing. Do we also include change management in that so that we yeah. don't put patch through until that testing is done? Yeah. So thank you for that, because the unspoken word is, which I, I mentioned before, you know, the most common uh, saying and barrier to patching is, is not broken, please don't fix it, because patch introduced a change by definition. That's what patching does. It changes the behavior of the, of the capability of the environment. And to coordinate those changes, you, you, you need change management. So when I said before, the most common barrier is, you know, the, it's not broken, please don't fix it. The, uh, and I met earlier in passing, your asset owner, paradoxically, is the one who veto your change. They threaten your, your change. And when you think about that, what uh, the risk communication as a business language and really what I want your focus to is to help that business conversation with your asset owner. And paradoxically, what people don't expect because people think patching is against the bad guys, which it does at the technology level. But that's the patching algorithm, the technology and and the uh, and, and the all the uh, technical uh, consideration, but the patch management policy around the algorithm, if I can draw the attention to the difference between algorithm and the policy, policy is a human conversation. BCP is not technology. It's a conversation. It's a policy, right? So therefore, the, the, the policy is consumed into the change management cadence. Now, because all, most BCP are change management conversations. It's come by proportionality. Mm. Now, you have another comment that I liked in uh, the information that you sent uh, to me. And uh, let me make sure I get the expression right. You describe patch management as a slow-moving train wreck. Yeah. What did you mean by that? Because I, I, <laughs> I, 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 like, I like that expression. It's a slow-moving train wreck. Okay, why? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's a train wreck. It's like in a movie because you can see it coming and you can see the consequence. But hopefully in the last minute, Superman comes and you know, move it into a different part of the track and you don't have a head-on collision. And that's what patching is all about. You can see it coming. Even in the monthly cadence of Patch Tuesdays and this monthly, what it build up to was that because most of those uh, changes are foreshadowed for months ago. People found the vulnerability, but Microsoft haven't got around to create their patch. Uh, there are some, you know, expected ones. And patching is one of those uh, uh, hygiene uh, practice because you apply a patch to to reduce or close a weakness or vulnerability. For a better word is a weakness. Well, if no one's there to exploit that weakness, it doesn't really matter. But it only matters. But you you know what could happen. So, and perhaps they're using analogy in real life with you know we're raising children. I think we both had children, and you try to explain to your kids you know do your homework is good for you you know uh, work hard and uh, that is a slow you know solving train wreck. Is kids don't see it that way. It's like 
party time. <laughs> <laughs> I want yeah. to play game X, Y, Z, and it's, so that is a slow train wreck. And boy, take you know twenty years of life to when I wake up to say you know you got to go to university and come and get a good job, and you're trying to you know coach your children uh, to 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 be more responsible. <clears throat> so that's like patching. Each every single step, every week they go to homework and get an assignment on time. That is like patching. Every month they have you know major assignments, and you want to making sure they they have time to to do the assignment, not just submit the assignment last minute. You say here's assignment, <laughs> and hopefully you pass. So that is that is the parallel cadence. There, there's another group I know uh, you've talked. We've talked about the AI uh, patch management uh, people, uh, people that are testing, uh, change management. How does this help the cyber team? Uh, the, the, how does AI help the cyber team? Well, the, the cyber response team or the uh, security team, I guess, might be easier to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks for that, uh, that setting. Well, this patching is a preventative, is a continuum to the response. And of course, uh, like uh, use an analogy, like the U.S. recently suffered from uh, also part of the world, you know, major uh, you know, cyclones and storm, and of course, you know that the 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 emergency response team come and rescue people who may be affected by a flood or, or, or the cyclone, and had they rescue uh, rescue physically rescue them, you know, using a boat or helicopter. What they always complain is not the response team. They thank the response team for doing what they could. What they then blame the government is the lack of preparation readiness. You knew, which is coming to analogy, a slow-moving train wreck. You knew, you know, the drain is not there. The flood barrier is not there. You knew you should have raised a levy, but you didn't. Well, because we didn't have the money or the road, you know, you likely vulnerable to subsidence or got washed out and you didn't strengthen it. Yeah, we know. So there's a lot of preparation and you can consider, as I mentioned before, if you open up the definition of patching to technology, to process, those pointing are processes affect budgets. There's so many things you can strengthen, roles, you know, drainage system, electricity supply, what it Imagine if we supplied as a government, what can you do? And this is really coming down to AI. So a lot of course increasingly the planning side that those decisions enable AI and we know what that looks like because you need data to substantiate those proposals analysis. Now, hopefully that uh, that makes sense. I won't go too, yep. too far off the track. No, no, that was good. Um, I, I do want to ask another question about AI. And uh, with patch management and some of the other pieces that you brought forward, if we have too much reliance on AI to look after our patch management processes and all the different pieces of it, excuse me, we can be haunted by some of the decisions that are made, right? Uh, like, is there too much reliance on AI for when it comes to patch management? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, thank you for that comment. In fact, it's one of the punchlines I wanted to bring out in this conversation, this single opportunity. And the one line is to say, uh, for patching, you cannot send a patching partition platform uh, or the algorithm to jail. You can't. But 
the decision makers who prioritize their patches or the funding for the row upgrade or the uh, levy, they can literally go to jail. So the patch processing policy and how the risk communication narrative can help is to literally pe- stop people and get uh, literally starting to go to jail is a get out of jail cut for them because they now consulted the community and come to a consensus the priority in which you apply the patching, such as do we upgrade the the flat levy first or strengthen the road or had you measured food supplies store up in a locality. You knew that storm is coming or you, you knew the storm season is coming. You can see what the period storm looks like. You knew the, the potential external impact, the slow train wreck. You knew, but you chose not to invest your funding and your resources in strengthening protecting those vulnerable community. Well, you need to be able to be accountable for your action as a policy administrator. It's not the workers, which is the people, system measure applied the actual patching software package. It's the change management team, the cyber team, the CISO, who responds to the policy in prioritizing those resources. They are the, 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 uh, responsible for that. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe that's... Well, when I think of patch management, I think it's uh, almost something as uh, it's automatic. Mm. Where a patch is being applied, oh, so it's automatic. We we just get sent it, and it's you know does whatever it does. And um, and I think that with AI, I th- potentially a lot of other people are going to be thinking like that. It's not something I have to get mm. concerned about. I don't think about the change part. I don't think about security working with the security team. I don't think about working with um, you know a, a, a group of testers if it's not myself you know um and, and sometimes i think there is a little bit too much reliance on ai that will take care of this for us and as you pointed out that can be dangerous <laughs> yeah so you might could uh, join another anecdote is very current and you might, might not be aware you're coming with um the sec have an insurance called the Wells Notice. That's not an insurance necessarily anyone familiar with. The Wells Notice is insurance, SEC, the uh, exchange, uh, Security Exchange Commission, uh, to issue a basic indictment uh, against an uh, organization, you know, for potentially a uh, violation of the SEC rules. Now, case in point, the SEC issued a worse notice uh, to SolarWinds, and you probably recall SolarWinds has suffered a major supply chain vulnerability, affected lots of company. And they, uh, so, uh, in a context, uh, uh, SolarWinds was subjected uh, to a shareholder secure class action uh, and settled for $26 million uh, end of last year, around October last year, 2020. Um, to, um, around the same time, SCC, who approved that car settlement, also issued a worse notice to SolarWinds. And usually, the the settlement, the class action, closed end of that matter because you, well, no acknowledgement of fault. That's why you do the settlement. Uh, you know, that is like you know compensated. So the question is, why SCC wanted to ask them? So the speculation is, the SCC are interested in the disclosure. Solowin at a time which is the subject of a class action. What did they know? The allegation, according to the detail, the class the shoulder class action was whether they have applied applied sufficient uh, strengthening to manage the software supply chain. That was the vulnerability, right? So they, they're asking, have they patched the software supply chain 
process, the class action document was public, alleged that the SolarWind management had turned a blind eye to some of those quote, vulnerability that are very poor practices that they uh, recently expect uh, to have resulted in the incident they uh, reported and thus led to potentially the settlement of class section. The last thing I want to say is really unusual, and I think this is a punchline. The World Snow usually serves the organization. In this one instance, first ever former World Snow is served to the, both the CFO and the CISO. The point, no surprise, is that the CISO because, you know, please explain why the CFO. Well, the answer is that the CFO is the one who signed off on the disclosure. And the, the shareholder well, issued a class action because they complained that they were misled by their disclosure and they lost money. So they settled for $26 million. The question the SEC potentially asking uh, is, was the disclosure appropriate and reasonable? Did the CFO or the company he represents, the management board, uh, saw the slow-moving train wreck? Did they know, as alleged in a class action? So I think that put in perspective that because you just because you're not a technology person, you're a CFO, you deal with budget and disclosure. But something you got to think about because you put in perspective BCP. This is really a BCP conversation. You knew your software supply chain had vulnerability. You don't need to know the, the details. Your site will have given you details. Well, why did you decide as an organization not to do what maybe you could have done? We don't know necessarily what it would be. That's what probably covered in the class section uh, because it's settlement. We didn't know the details. I'm going to pause at that. Uh, it, I will encourage your your audience to you know do your research and just that's a very interesting conversation. It's the first time ever a CFO get dragged into this sort of cyber conversation. We make no sense, but also make complete sense because we don't want to get bogged down in the technology conversation like the size we expect to have. It's better hit where the money is, right? Well, it kind of proves your point that you said earlier on too that. It, seen as I, uh, you know, patch management and these other pieces are seen as IT centric, but CFO is not an IT, mm. so it does reach out to other areas. Yeah, but because a lot of those really rooted from is the funding decisions and yeah. the, and the priority of business decision, not technology. Because AI will help you with that technical analysis, but mm. AI, as I said earlier on, you cannot send AI and technology to jail. You can't and like you to send a CFO to jail. Well, if they find to be breaching the direct their duty as a director. Yeah. Well, we only have four minutes left. Do you have any tips that maybe some of the listeners and viewers we have out there, uh, what they could maybe do right away to, you know, see if how their patch management process is and what they could do right away? to start moving on a stronger, better path? Yeah, Paul, just a close, I would do two points, uh, invitation. The first one is uh, to demystify the conversation, which alluded to patching is a technology conversation. It is technology enabled, but ultimately the patching policy, not the algorithm, is a business conversation. And it, it is needed to be transformed and reframed my technology conversation into a financial risk conversation. 
and that's that testimony to the uh, the situation faced by the solar wind. Second, because if I can do a, a make a plug for our community, the the fair uh, community, the fair institute, uh, and the open group uh, who published the fair standard, is please join our community, which our community. Um, through the Fair Institute and uh, have a conversation with our members and understand you know, how we enabled uh, your audience uh, to have those business conversation and demystified this very important conversation and not to be exposed to sitting on seeing a slow moving train wreck. Yeah, nobody wants a slow moving train wreck. <laughs> no, no, we don't. We have uh, two minutes left. Any final thought? One quick little nugget? Or yeah. That final thing, if I can do a plug uh, for my uh, presentation of uh, FairCont in October, and uh, we're now recording in, in September. So when they come out, maybe after the FairCon, but if not, uh, you know, please come and join a community. And it is uh, uh, the most important uh, conversation we have for our community in Washington, D.C. Great. Well, thank you so much, Denny, for reaching out and being a part of the show today. I really appreciate it. I learned some new things. And, you know, I was one of the people who, let's face it, saw patch management as IT centric, but you pointed out there's a lot more to it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity, District. Great. See, I I can learn things. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned a lot from all your recording before. So I'm very privileged to have the opportunity to speak with you. Oh, great. Well, thank you. It was a privilege to have you here. And like I said, I'm happy you reached out so we could talk about this. So thank you once again. Have a great day because I know it's morning in Australia. So have a great day. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.